they ought to be of service to them in distributing. When therefore I have distributed this and have delivered to them what has been trusted, I will leave saying, by way of Egypt, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of little crowd participation. It's always dangerous. As you think about over the past however many years that you have been alive, each year you have the opportunity to experience Christmas. Some of you have had some really amazing Christmas experiences where it's been absolutely memorable. Maybe it was a birthday that was memorable that year where you received something where you were a little shocked like you have gone above and beyond there's no way I can match this in fact I feel like I should go shopping right now blow the bank because you have really been gracious maybe it wasn't even a Christmas, or maybe it wasn't a birthday. Maybe it was just a friendship where somebody has poured into you richly. Just they they lavished upon you in friendship, and they lavished upon you in time. They lavished upon you in resources, and you are just awestruck by how they have cared for you. They were generous. Think of a time in which somebody was generous towards you. Briefly. What word did I say? Briefly. (laughs) Briefly. Does anybody want to share about that experience? Go. Sue. In a time of need, somebody blessed you. Excellent. Others? season tickets? <laughs> That's sweet. Pat.
that look that bad? <laughs> I've got a whole message. man who lived only 29 years. His name was uh, Robert Murray McShane. Uh, he lived in the, the 1800s and he was a Presbyterian pastor. Uh, lived a short, short life and he was known uh, for, if you look in, uh, different kind of reading plans. He has his own reading plan out there. 29 year old. Uh, and it is one of the best ones out there. But he is known for this quote. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. I think through some of our stories, we get it. We see, oh, wow, that was undeserved. That was kind upon kind. McShane's point here is that there is really a cause and effect relationship between believing in the gospel, trusting in Jesus Christ, and generosity. There's a cause and effect. This happens, and then automatically this kind of thing happens. For those of you who have expressed, uh, experienced the lavish grace of Jesus Christ in your life, that cause, you will be motivated towards generosity. This is the season where 
Americans spend, it seems like, billions of dollars. I don't know how much that is, but there's a lot of zeros there. We spend dollars upon dollars upon dollars. But then all of a sudden, in January, we reset the clock. Most of us have got to work overtime or extra hard, and we've got a budget now because, man, we don't know how to control our resources, but we love being generous. The Christian life is meant to be one that is deeply impacted by the gospel and to be lived out in generosity 365 days a year. When one has tasted and seen the goodness of God, there is a Holy Spirit-empowered desire to be the very conduit of God's grace. When you when you've tasted and go, Lord, I don't deserve this. You become you be desire to be, Lord, take me, use me. I want to be a conduit of your grace towards other people. It just becomes natural. A heart that has been graced by God creates a life of graces for other people. And that's what we just got done talking about. When you've been graced by God, you desire to be a, contribute to other people and provide graces for their lives. So I want to give you a, a kind of a biblical axiom that you find all throughout Scripture. The gospel creates a generous life. And it creates a life characterized by sharing. So I'm going to unpack this a little bit, and we're going to look at uh, the Apostle Paul as uh, he is ending up his, his, this letter to the church in Rome. And this, this text that we see here in this section, I think, has a lot to talk about our, how we view our life, not just in Christmas, this Christmas season, but our life as a whole as it's been shaped by the gospel. This text shows us the way that a gospel-created mindset shows up in very specific and very practical kind of ways. A generous generosity is a mindset that is birthed by the gospel and that is lived out in real time in real lives. Specifically, we're going to see this morning how generosity surfaces when in regards to shared mission, to shared resources, and shared concerns. So last week we looked at the Apostle Paul as it related to his, his ministry of reaching uh, the Gentiles. And he was extremely proud of the work that he has done for God. Man, he wants to even make his boast in what God has done, right? Well, God chose to use me and look what God has done through me. And Paul is boasting all day long about this kind of work. And he is pressing now forward to continue his missionary plans. He kind of senses that the end is coming. And what does that do? It adds a fuel to his fire to go, I want to get all the way to Spain. I want to go. I want to finish well. He wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done well. And so now, in verses 22 and 24, we get another window into Paul's heart. And we get a glimpse, as it is related to generosity, that we might, an area that we might not always consider. When we think about generosity, we often think about being generous with our financial resources, right? You'll hear it from the pulpit. Come on, giddy up. We've got bills to pay. We've got a mission to be on. We want you to give of your resources. But Paul is talking here. He starts off by being generous with his plans. Paul is explaining to the church why he was not able to visit them. And we get a real sense of the cost that it, he had for this. There's a reason why I've been, often been so hindered from coming to you. But now, since I know... I no longer have any room for work in these regions. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
Paul clearly wants to go to Rome. He wants to spend time with this, this early church. And despite how much Paul really wants to visit Rome and how much they really wanted this, this pastor, church planter, to come to them, there was a greater mission, something bigger than a visit and a greater purpose for Paul than Rome. It was to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named. That is Paul's mission. I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ has not been named. So the mission to reach unreached people in the Roman Empire was worth a personal sacrifice on the part of Paul and the sacrifices on the part of the church in Rome. What's more, it's clear that Paul is moving on from his present location of ministry because he has accomplished the mission that God has given him. Surely there was more work to be done, right? He was a pioneer missionary. Surely there's a lot more to be done here, right? Can we be pioneer missionaries? His mission is to go where the gospel has not yet been preached. His mission is to go where it was hard. And he was inviting the church in Rome to share in this mission. God's mission was Paul's mission. And he wanted... Spain to be the mission for Rome. Gospel-driven generosity means that Paul is concerned more than just about Paul's agenda. And Rome is concerned more than just their own personal agenda. The gospel creates an appetite, a hunger, within the heart of a believer, to share in the mission of God in the world. The gospel sets a stage of just this beautiful awareness and sacrificial engagement in what God is doing. Do do you have a sense of a gospel mission for something beyond yourself? Do Do you sense that God... Has, is calling you to do something beyond what you enjoy doing in the four corners of your own little home? Is there something greater that God is saying? Hey, go! Go make disciples. We love that, Matthew 28, don't we? Go make disciples of all the nations. Professional missionaries. Pastors. My dollars, my cents. You go! So last week, we we talked about the joy of gospel work. The joy, yes, joy of gospel work and how Paul was proud of his work for God. So generosity involves more than just giving of one's money. It includes allowing God's mission to take actual priority over our time. To take priority over our plans. Take priority over our expectations and our agenda. This is often an overlooked aspect of gospel-centered generosity. Can we, can you, during this time, have eyes big enough to say, God, what do you want me to do with my time, my agenda, my plan? Do we hold our things that we love to do during this season loosely and say, you know what is most critical? is not the things that I enjoy doing, although they're good and important and memory-making. The most important thing that needs to be accomplished is the spread of the gospel. How can I be generous with my time? How can I be a part of this shared mission? Here's the reality. Anyone who serves in any capacity within our church, whether it be Kids Crossing, the music team, elders, deacons, hospitality, missional community, uh, uh, leaders, whoever it is, anybody who serves has to make a serious decision. They've got to make a decision to have a generous heart to give up what they would like to be doing so that they can be engaged on mission. And here's even a a difficult thing. 
and I dare, I dare some of you to step into this with me. Christmas Eve, we are going to have Kids Crossing. On Christmas Eve. Do I have any volunteers to say, I am willing to give up this holy holiday to serve, to be a part of a shared mission? Because I'm sure most, most, most of us would say, no. Uh-uh. It is Christmas. It only comes around one time a year, and I want to sing my favorite song. I need to light a candle in the wind, you know, just have this kumbaya moment. But gospel generosity says, you know what, I want to be a part of a shared mission. And if that means ministering to our children, so be it. To serve God effectively, both individually and corporately, means that you have decided to lay down your life, your preferences, your time, your energy as an offering to God. Take this, Lord. Use this, Lord, for your purposes. You hold your plans loosely. You hold your life loosely. The reason is because of the eclipsing beauty of the mission of God. I want to be a part of something greater than my little dinky, rinky-dink life. I want to be part of something grand and beautiful and ever-expanding. And Paul yields his plans to, to visit Rome. He yielded his right to stay in one location, to raise, to get married, find a wife, have children, have a really nice home in Jerusalem. No, he gave it all up. He wanted the church at Rome to share in his mission to Spain. The gospel creates a generous life as it relates to a shared mission. But that's not it, is it? The second area relates to gospel-centered generosity is the area of sharing of resources or financial support. And this is really the common one, right? This is where you hear it the most. This is the most common and familiar application of generosity. And there's a particular context that is important for you to understand. In verse 25, Paul says that he is going to Jerusalem in order to bring aid to the saints there in Jerusalem. There's a lot of scholars who believe that Paul wrote the book of Romans in Corinth at the end of his missionary journey. And the book of Acts is there to help us to understand some of the historical background. Acts 29. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem saying this, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And after having and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Aratus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Ultimately, Rome was on Paul's heart. And he was halfway there geographically. He was almost there. But Paul does what? Paul goes in the opposite direction. To Jerusalem to bring an offering, to bring some kind of aid to the saints in Jerusalem. Why would he do that? Well, a famine had struck Palestine, and there were Jewish believers who were desperate, in desperate financial need. Some believe it was an actual famine of some sort. Some believe it was a famine because of believers' belief in Jesus Christ that their families cut them totally off. So financially, they just couldn't make a way. Whatever the reason is, there was a dire need. And what does Paul do? He takes a thousand-mile detour. A thousand-mile detour. Not in a car. He takes a thousand-mile detour in order to deliver this strategic and meaningful gift. A thousand-mile detour. And verse 26 it says that Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor in Jerusalem. As Paul is 
traveling through modern-day Greece, he presented the opportunity for believers to give. Here's a chance. Their giving became an important example of sacrificial giving that Paul used to motivate other believers. Let me show you how this gift, uh, about this gift. Look at, if you got your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I, am, when I come. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, beginning of the week, let's just create a habit, collect a bunch of money, collect a bunch of money so that when I come, I am not begging you. All you are doing is presenting an offering every week. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, in other words, things were very, very, very rough for this church in Macedonia, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and by their and beyond beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, I love this, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Could you imagine a church saying, Please, Paul, can you pass the plate one more time? I really want to be a part of this. I didn't give enough the first time. One more time. Next week, uh, okay, we've passed it three times already Sunday morning. Next week, can we do it again? I am begging you to, so that I can be a part of this mercy ministry. Can, I, can we do that? I have never seen a church do that. I've never seen a church say, can we give more? Can we do more? What can we do? Can we do more? Come on, I, I want to be a part of this. And Paul is saying, these people who were in a very rough place financially, there was a severe affliction going on in this church in Macedonia. They, they were poor, and out of their poverty, they gave. Not only out of their poverty did they give, they went above and beyond. And then they kept on begging for another opportunity. Something happened here, right? Something was going on in their heart. The Macedonians have been giving out of their poverty. So there is no excuse for anybody here to say, I just don't have a lot of money. So I'm, I'm going I'm to cover my debt first. Paul's going, have you seen, let me show you the Macedonians. They gave out of their poverty. And they even went above and beyond to be participants in this, this grace, mercy kind of activity. Paul used their generosity to motivate the wealthier Corinthians. Paul had to say, listen, these poor folks, they are giving above and beyond, and they're begging for an opportunity. Hey, church in Corinth, here's an example. How about you, out of your wealth, be like the Macedonians? And he even sent Titus to Corinth, carrying the letter of 2 Corinthians to ensure that this gift was fully collected. And that this gift was a big deal. So why is the gift so important? Why would Paul take a thousand-mile detour? There are two reasons why this gift was crucial. And, and through these, we will get a clear sense of two sides of generosity. Think of them as the two different sides of the same coin. There is joy and responsibility. In verse 27, we read, they were pleased to do it. In the, in the this is the second time in two verses where this word pleased is used. The Greek word means to take a high degree of pleasure to approve or take delight in. They were pleased to give an offering. They, were, they, they had a great deal of joy found in giving. 
they, they, they were motivated out of this joy. There was happiness. There was a strong desire. The Macedonians gave because they wanted to. And this is especially meaningful considering their poverty. You've probably heard and probably can add, fill in this, uh, this little blank. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I love how you sounded there, Coach. God loves a cheerful giver. But this emerges out of 2 Corinthians 9. The point of this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will, will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Generosity expressed in the sharing of one's resources comes from a willing, desirous heart. The gospel creates, actually creates a heart that values and loves what giving gives rather than what money gives. We, we, I love giving. I love, to a fault, you can ask my wife, I, I, I love to give. And she constantly needs to say, honey, rail him in because we got some bills to pay. But God, I love the ability to give and bless people. It, it's more meaningful to be able to give than to receive. But there's more here, right? It's not just the joy found in giving. There's also responsibility found in this. Often uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it's used to say that there is no sense of responsibility in our giving. However, the text would say that we should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. That would be the wrong motivation for giving. But that does not negate the appropriate and biblical understanding of responsibility. Giving should not be motivated by have to, by guilt. But it should be motivated by the, I want to, or I should. In verse 27, Paul even uses debt-oriented language to describe the motivation in giving. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Did you see that? They owed it to them. There's, a, there's almost a debt that is there. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought to also be of service to them in the material blessings. Listen, you receive from the Jews these amazing, amazing spiritual blessings. Holy cow, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine, found. I'm, I was blind, but now I can see. We love those songs, don't we? Oh, I have received a spiritual blessing. So if we have received a spiritual blessing from them, ought we not bless them financially? There's a relationship there. And Paul is saying, listen, I, I want you to see this gift as even a means of fellowship between the two parties. By your giving, the Gentiles were fellowshipping, fellowshipping from a distant area with an impoverished Jewish Christian community. And that's what we do as we, we give to the Ambroses, we give to the Camiolas. What are we doing? We are fellowshipping from a distance. We are blessing them from our distance. And you can even see here, they, they were bearing the burdens of others and making a very significant statement through their money. So do you see how important this gift was to Paul? Do you see why he took a thousand mile, that just blows me away, he took a thousand mile detour. To go back to Jerusalem was not easy in any way. And it was not safe in any way. Because in Jerusalem, the hotbed of uh, the modern day 
way of, they thought was the correct way of worship, Paul was a target. He was speaking out. And he was saying, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the one who you crucified. So going back to Jerusalem was not safe. Paul believed that sharing these resources would send a very strong message about the gospel. And is this how we view sharing our resources? Do you see your money as something that has the potential to create fellowship, partnership, a platform for the gospel? Do you see that giving involves both joy and responsibility? One of the reasons that I, why I think that the local church should be priority number one, plan A, for our giving is because it is the place where you receive your spiritual blessings primarily. This is, for you, your plan A. This is where you receive your spiritual blessings. If you love your church, and if you are blessed by your church, you should give to your church. But I don't think it should be limited to the church as a whole. When you have people around you who are in need, do you, do you think about your responsibility as part being part of the solution? But, and do you see how generosity can be the way in which you join them in their trial or their difficulty? It's my opportunity to be joyfully entering into and my responsibility to come alongside you. You may wonder, what, what can I do to help? What can I do to help you? You can give. Giving says something about what we really love, doesn't it? There's a, a saying about show me your calendar and show me your checkbook and I can tell you what you love. It's scary, isn't it? So you're going, don't look at my checkbook. But it says, it indicates what you love. You may be giving regularly and you may be giving generously. And if so, I want you to be encouraged that, to continue practicing this consistent act of generosity because it will be good for your soul. It is disciplining your heart and your mind to say, this is important. And if, if you are struggling to give, it, I want to encourage you. One, get out of debt. And do you know how you might do that? Financial Peace University. Sign up for it. Get out of debt. Don't let it be your, your master. You're a slave to the debt. But you can also ask the Lord to help you find some place to start small and grow. Don't miss the opportunity to, to, to give tangibly, to express that the gospel is special. But there's one more facet. There's the final aspect of generosity relates to Paul's personal relationship with the church in Rome and his, his desire to help them bear the burdens of this ministry. Verses 28 through 30 are, are intimate. They are heartfelt and they're even pastoral. Paul begins telling the church of his intentions to visit them after he completes this delivery in Jerusalem. When therefore I have completed this and I have delivered to them what, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Paul had never visited this church in Rome. He wanted them to be a assured of his intention there, his love and his, his desire to see them. What's more, he, he longed to be with them so that he could be a part of Christ's work in their lives. And this is very similar to what Paul said in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 11, where he, he longed to impart to you some spiritual gift 
to strengthen you. This is Paul's desire. I want to see you strengthened. I want to see you bolstered up. I want to see you lifted up. And, and it is in verses 30 to 33 where we are able to see Paul's full desire for the church to share his burden. He longs for them to pray for them. I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to all the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with the joy, with joy, and be refreshed in your company. May the peace of God be with you all. Amen. So Paul, Paul wants for them to strive together with him. He wants them to lock, step, walk together with him. This is this is this word means to wrestle with someone as they enter into battle we're locking arms we want to strive together the idea is that they come alongside him in his ministry by praying specifically for him there's a high degree of specificity here in in verse 30 as he says strive together with me in your prayers to god on my behalf Paul is longing for this church in Rome to pray with and for him. Man, church, go before God's throne. Plead on my behalf. There are a few things more discouraging, and some of you can testify to this, than walking through a personal struggle or a ministry challenge alone. It's lonely. It's dark. It's painful. The attacks of the enemy are are powerful. The internal discouragement can be so very real. And the thought of being alone is just absolutely terrible. It's terrifying. It's depressing. But when there are people struggling with you in prayer, there is a great encouragement and hope the prayers of the church would move the very resources of heaven into action so if you find yourself lonely broken discouraged can i encourage you to do this one thing as a start find people to pray for you one of my more lonely parts of ministry over this past year, I asked 30 men from our church and outside of our church to pray for me on a daily basis. I need prayer. I need encouragement. Pastors get discouraged too. Why would you not do it? I don't want to burden them. That means I'm going to have to share and be vulnerable. Heck yeah. Find seven people and say, would you for the next four weeks, would you pray for me on Monday? Would you pray for me on Tuesday? Would you pray for me on Wednesday? And you know what? I'll share some things, but I just need you to pray. Go before the throne of God. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Would you do that for me? Would you pray for me? Don't ever, friends, ever diminish the power of prayer with someone or for someone. If somebody is immediately brought to your mind, what you sh- what should you do? Hey, I should just pray for them right now. I don't. Paul Bloom, how do I? Wonder how he's doing. Let me pray for him. Chase Mingo. I don't know what he's doing right now, but I'm going to pray for him. Amy Keene. that she pops into my mind right now. Maybe I should pray in this moment. Don't negate the comfort and the help of having people strive together with you in prayer. There is something powerful and encouraging as we join in prayer even for our 
are missionaries. And so what is Paul asking specifically? Three things. That he would be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Jerusalem wasn't a safe place. There were those who uh, even feared that if Paul would go to Jerusalem that he would be arrested or even potentially killed. So Paul's, so I, I, need, I need safety. I need safety when I go there. Secondly, that his service would be acceptable to the saints. Paul was not always well received. I get it sometimes. <laughs> not always well received. What did Paul do? He was a very wordy, theologically rich kind of guy. Uh, even Peter said, well, we don't always understand what he's talking about. There's kind of a mystery going on. But Paul was also the guy who spoke very directly. And that kind of ministry is not always received, especially when you're speaking into the idols of, of the day. So Paul said, man, I, I pray that my ministry will be acceptable to the saints. And then his last one is that he would co could come to Rome and that he could be refreshed by their company. Paul asked them to pray that God would make it possible for his visit to actually happen. Even at the end of his letter, Paul opened his hands to what, the God, to what God wanted for his life. But he was praying, I hope that I can make it to Rome. And he closes this portion uh, with the following words, may the peace of God be with you all. Amen. What does that word amen mean? So may it be. Let it be. So all these things that he's been talking and praying about, he goes, may, may the peace of God be with you all. And may it be so. May it be so. So do you see how the gospel actually creates a generous life? The Roman church needed to be concerned about Spain. The Macedonians needed to be concerned about the believers in Jerusalem. And the Roman Christians needed to be concerned about Paul. This other-centeredness combined with a willingness to have a shared mission, to, to share their resources, and to share one another's concerns is something that is beautiful and compelling. And underneath biblical generosity is a very different way of living, a very different way of thinking. Generous living springs from, from a new heart, one that now lives with a brand new value set. Tim Keller, in his book called The Ministries of Mercy, The Call of the Jericho Road, uses an illustration of a dying man to make this point very clear. And I'll end with this. Imagine a person who is deathly ill. The doctor announces to him that there is a medicine which can certainly cure him. Without it, he has no hope. However, says the doctor, it is extremely expensive. You will have to sell your cars, even your home, to buy it. You may not want, wish to spend so much. The man turns to his doctor and says, What do my cars mean to me now? What good will my house be? I must have that medicine. It is precious to me. These other things which were so important to me, now look pale by comparison to that medicine. They are expendable now. Give me that medicine. The Apostle Paul says, to you who believe, he is precious. The grace of our God makes Christ precious to us so that our possessions our money, our time have all become utterly or eternally and utterly expendable. Think about that. Let me read that again. The grace of God makes Christ precious to us so that our possessions, our money, our time have all become eternally and utterly expendable. They, they used to be crucial to our happiness. They are not so now. Oh, for that, right? This illustration shows that underneath everything in our life that we possess, that we use, that we own, there is a value set. 
And when the gospel informs that value set, it changes how we view and how we handle the things in our life. The sharing of a common mission, our resources and our concerns, comes from a heart that has been captivated by the beauty and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Missio Dei Church, my prayer for the rest of this year and for 2018 is that we embrace a gospel-centered generosity that displays to a watching world where our true value is found. Amen? Father God, we we know that a new heart, a new heart creates a generous heart. Lord, I pray that as we are men and women and children with hearts that have been created by you, Lord, that we will give largely and liberally to your causes. Lord, that we will, here in the Lincoln Way area, we can say, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done here in the Lincoln Way area as it is in heaven. And Lord, you have entrusted us with resources. Lord, may we be using those resources create new ministries, to bless the broken down, downtrodden, those who are in need. Lord, would you give wisdom to our deacons to know how to best use the the resources of this church to bless those who are in need. May we do that in our, our Christmas gatherings. May we lavish beautiful gifts extravagant gifts, creative gifts to bless people. But may, through everything, people see the beauty of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.